Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ultimate OE. Ultimate OE provides safe, unique hunting-based experiences for passionate hunters and outdoorsmen. From hunting stone sheep in the mountains of British Columbia, rutting moose on the gravel bars of the Yukon, to chasing roaring red stags in the Highland of Scotland, Ultimate OE's paid overseas experiences are designed for hunters, by hunters, to maximise enjoyment, learning and experience. For more information, it can be found at ultimateoe.co.nz or flick us an email, give us a call. We're always happy to talk through what kind of hunting adventure would be best for you. Today's podcast is with John Breen. John is a local Alexandra man. Uh, He spent his whole life here. And we discuss hunting, obviously, how he found himself involved in Wapiti cow cows uh, back in the, I guess, 70s, and, and all sorts of, we go back and forth on a few different adventures that he's he's been part of uh, throughout South Westland and Fjordland, uh, writing books. And, and the big topic was how he found himself with an attachment to finding moose in Fjordland and the time John has spent down there and he spent some time in Fjordland and South Westland with some very iconic Kiwis or Kiwi hunters um, so it's different it's definitely a cool chat I, I'm, I'm really glad I got to catch up with John he's uh I certainly have a lot of admiration for the way he's lived his life so uh yeah enjoy the podcast get the beers open yeah I just use the back of the bloody I don't even use the blade just use the back of the thing here. It's a bit bloody rough, isn't it? No, it works so, doesn't it? It's probably how I did that. Mower. Mower. It's a real one, eh? Big Sky APA. What, did you have that pouch? Yeah. That's all right, as long as you've still got it. Mm -hmm. Oh, we might as well leave it out. We might need it for one more yet, won't we? (laughs) You're making sense already, you see? You're Mm -hmm. born born to do this. Rightio. I've got John, John Breen sitting with me today and uh, basically we're just going to have a chat about everything hunting everything John's been in and out of from <laughs> from start till now I guess but John for for I guess for me I'd like to know but where where did hunting start for you well here's my home Alexandra so it started here Tucker Hill rabbits mm-hmm. uh, goats with the 22 and progressed to the red deer from there. Uh, well, the red deer and the fellow to say uh, trips up to, up to the blue or up to Hunter or or down to the forestry at Beaumont or that sort of thing. That's that's how that's how it sort of started. I think I I my father wasn't a hunter at all. I think it was just the environment here. I just bought it. Yeah. It just. Yeah, I just like the idea of it, and, and I like I like what was around me, and I just sort of bought into it right left and centre, really, mm-hmm. in my own way. Not, you know, uh, I. Uh, so as I say, it was good. We, we did a lot of goat shooting, and then, 
and, and and then we started chasing the red deer, and we weren't any good at it. Yeah, we were just bloody hopeless. But so was it when you say we like you sort of teamed well, up with a couple of mates at that well, point? Probably me and Kelvin Nine, who still lives here today, and him and I went to school together, and a couple of other fellas who who, who was in in a flat with in Dunedin, and that sort of thing. So we just poked around from there, really. Mm-hmm. The blind um, leading the blind. Absolutely. <laughs> No question about it. And I guess back then, because you know, we're talking a generation ago or what have you, uh, was that just, what, 22 you mentioned and then what, military 303 type thing, was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. They tell me I've got, I've got to hand it in. <laughs> we could talk about that stuff later on if you want. <laughs> well, they tell me the 10, 10 mag, the 10 yeah. shot magazine for the 303 is now illegal. That's uh, what yeah. they tell me. Yeah, yeah. Not that I don't know. There's a me. there's a few yeah. comes and goes with and that. And my Remington 15 shot pump action is also illegal. Yeah, that one will be. Mm. Yeah, I can feel a bit more confident in saying yeah for that one. Yeah. Anyway, they tell me you can get money from. <laughs> well, yours is probably going to be pretty well used, John. Though that's mm. <laughs> it's, it's not brand new, is it? Mm. So, so the hunting was just done around here. Like, was it purely for sport, or was it? You know, was it? Was it what is it about the meat, or you know? Because we're talking, when, what sort of generation, when are we talking here? What sort of decade? Oh. Well, I I went to St. Kevin's in 1956, and then I, I did four years there and then went to work in Dunedin. So I was, I was bugging around with the, uh, mates that I had there that were local people like the Wishart's from more than that, and we'd go up there and shoot goats on Northburn or mm-hmm. that, those sorts of places. So I did quite a bit of that, and then I must have bought the three hundred three. I think I bought it off Terry O'Neill or somebody, and like it. I think anything that comes out the end of the barrel always rattled. Once. Ding to ding to ding to ding to ding. Yeah, so it's still there, but I haven't used it for years, of course. But so that's the way it sort of started. I think the big thing that's that sort of changed for me as I met these. We had a flat in Dunedin, and I wasn't a Scarfy, but I, I flatted with Scarfies, and it was pretty hopeless because I had to go to work next day. Whereas they, they they didn't bother going to work at all, so that made it hard going next day going to work because <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't hold my drink either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had to deal with all that. <laughs> but I, I met these South Otago people from Warrapa, the Bamford brothers, and. And 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 they were hunters, and they were up chasing skirt and Dunedin, and hung around the flats. So, in the end of nineteen sixty six, they took me on a whoppity cull into the Glazenock. Right. And I guess all the other stuff aside, that was where, where it really kicked off, I suppose. Mhm, mhm. So whoppity cull, like who was who was driving that back then? Into uh, DA, John right. John Anderson probably. Right. Well, and, and my mate Harrison, he was in the. They were all very staunch NZDA people. Yeah. And then the idea was to what, cut out rubbish, or what, like no. when you say cull, what were shoot you shoot the hinds? Shoot just hinds. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so there was still deer all over the tussock and in, in, in the glaze not then. And I think the first trip we, the very first trip from memory, we must have airdropped. Once on Oilskin Pass and one one away out on the fourth tributary of the George River, which is well out. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, mm. this, yeah. And there was this this fellow Harrison I was telling you about with the, with the, all the trophies who mm-hmm. who did a lot of overseas stuff in the finish. And the two Bamford boys, the the oldest one, John, John, I spent years, I suppose, off and on down there. Uh, he's about four years older than me, and he became a president of the NZDA and he's a life member of the NZDA so he got into that he's a pretty strong character mm-hmm. so that was your first I guess multiple day well you know that was your sort of entry into multiple day hunts getting stuck right amongst it or we might have went up the blue for five days or something yeah okay at the most T- took more beer than anything else yep. we were silly enough to do all that sort of nonsense Everyone's but, got but, that, and then John, how about that? But the, but, the, <laughs> the, but the deer were out and still out in the open because the helicopters weren't there. So when you were shooting deer, be it up the blue, or even on this uh, Wapiti Cull, were you, were you literally just shooting deer, or were you taking meat? or What like, what was the basis of, of what you were doing? We were shooting deer and, and, and taking measurements and, and ball right. weights and leg lengths and things like that. Right. Yeah. That's pretty interesting work. Yes, so there was always that involved in it. And how long would you go into Fjordland for? About 10 days ago. I actually saw a photo, I was going to talk to you about this later on, but I, I think it was in one of um, Philip Holden's books. Is it, and you, and it could be the Bramford brothers under the Abivy in the Glasnock. Would that be about right? Yeah, uh, it'll be Alan Harrison's book probably. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, a Deer Stalker's Paradise, a deer stalker's paradise. Could be too. I think it's right it's up a, there. If it's we a look really it good up. book. Yeah. yeah. So the, you'll find I'm in there, and there's two or three pictures of me in there. Yeah, but the, with the Bamfords and yeah, yeah. But the one, the one thing I want to talk to you about in that respect was mm. what what jumps out because I've done a few field trips, obviously nowadays. Mm. But um, here you are. I guess they are woolen pants, leather boots. I think you had a hessian sack with baling twine. Sort of tied over as your strap, or whatever you did. I'm not sure if it was exactly you. It must have been pretty tough. Well, I think being young helped. <laughs> right. No common sense. Yeah. So, uh, well, to be out on the tops of Fiordland, there's always things going on. There's always the weather, isn't there? And so you you have to deal with that all the time. Mm. So you got to have to you have to have your bolt holes. Your bolt holes. Don't you? What's your bolt holes? When you need to get the fuck out of it. Oh, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the best it, case route. Yeah, and in Fjordland, that's not that difficult because you can usually find find a rock or something in, in, in the head of, say, the Pit River. There's a big rock in the Pit River or there's the there's the, the famous rock bivy in the Glaznock and mm-hmm. all those sorts of places. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. once you've got, you know, a wee bit... You knew where you could. You make it sound like it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to find these. I've actually walked past the rock baby with the, with the kids when I took them to on a, about a ten day go once. You took the what, Pete, Trevor, Lindsay, yeah, the boys, yep. yeah. What, just on a scenic tour, or were you hunting? No, just to show them, really. Yeah, we 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 Bill Black put us at Anchorage Cove, mm-hmm. which is in, in George Sound, and we walked. Back to the mouth of the Glaznock, but we we say we went up Trophy Creek, and then down McDonald's Creek, and then out on the ridge of the fourth tributary. We're going to go to the tops, but it pissed, 
So we hopped down in the, in, into the Georgian and got stuck in the head. Uh, there, there was a uh, there was myself and Paul Olsen, a school teacher friend of mine, who taught, who was just out of a training college, and he taught my kids at St Peter's, and he come with the, the, the three boys, and we and a storm hit us at in that. Well, we as I say, the fourth tributary were above the Tussock line, so we decided we had to get the hell out of there. So we went down the George River and then continued on up into the head of the Georgian, got stuck there about the base of the, of the saddle that goes into into the Pit River. And what happened was that we were we were in trouble. The river was coming. The river was th- there. Yeah, right. Outside the tent. Yeah. Brush your teeth in it type thing without getting outside. Yeah. And it was quite interesting because I'm not, I'm not sure what, I think we'd have had to climb a tree because I don't think we'd have got out by then because I think that we're on an island <laughs> by then. How old are the kids? Oh, I don't know. They might have been 14 or something, I suppose. Oh, yeah. It's still, it's still enough to take on. So we, we, we could see that we we're going to have to go, so we got all out and huddled up in the, in the, in the big tent that they had, and Olsen and I had a pup tent. And it was—it seemed an odds on certainty, but we stuck and we stuck and we stuck, <laughs> as you do. Yeah, ignorance. Yeah, and it proved to be fast moving, and it pulled up in time. <laughs> so you just wiped your brow like you knew that was going to happen the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So that was as near as I have ever got to of getting washed out. Right. So how many? Because because in Fjordland, like obviously the water can come up and down pretty quickly, well, as of, as with the west coast. But how many mm. how many trips did you do into Fjordland? Um, you know, with those cows and and whatnot. Well, there was the Wapiti and the Moose, and I suppose all told, I might have done a, a total of say eighteen trips plus a couple of others lately. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about those ones yeah. later on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's pretty pretty cool country. So then, when from from the time you were sort of kicking around in Fjordland, because you've got quite a big, I not background, but a history over in the West Coast, like the Waitoto and stuff, because I remember, I remember back when I was a young fellow printing, we were printing your book, yeah. R- River of Blood. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when did you start jumping around in that country? Well, it was only, it was pretty intermittent, but what, because I went there to work, so we started building Single men's quarters in a single in in the new Haas village where it is now, not at Haas Beach, mm-hmm. and that was in nineteen seventy seven seventy eight, and that's how we got to know Eagling and people like that. Mm-hmm. The local, the real locals. Yeah, the real locals. Yeah, yeah, the real locals. And so you did a bit of hunting over there, <clears throat> I guess, through that period as well. Yeah, mostly in the Waitoto. Yep. And why why pick that river? Well, but just because it was it was part of, part of Kiwi's run holding, you see, and so as the uh, the venison thing developed, well, and it developed from the venison and into the wild deer. Well, they were, you know, they had I don't know how many traps they had in the Waitoto, but they had a lot. They might have had twelve or fifteen traps in the Waitoto, probably mm. at least. And 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 they had it, and they had it well set up. So they had, they had a T. A. Ferguson that I'd dr- driven over there. 
From Alex? Yeah. <laughs> How long did that take? Oh, two days or something. <laughs> You'd want some good weather. And when Velma and the kids chased me, and then because we had to mix our own concrete, so the TA with the concrete bucket on the front yep. of it, and, and it, and one bad concrete mixer would have would do the concrete for quite a big. The new ministry base facility was quite quite a big project. Mm-hmm. And when we sort of left, I said to Kerry, oh, "You can have it. It's buggered. It's worn out now." <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't buggered at all. Eagling made it go, and because they they. They get so far up up in the jet boat, and then and then they'd already had a bulldozer up the white terrace, so they had they had the tracks, mm-hmm. and the tracks, and they had a good outstation in the Waitaro. Right. And of course, there was Cliff Peart and his huts up there, and other sort of natives like that as well. Mm-hmm. So they were all. Up there and, and doing what they were doing, meat, meat hunting or, or or live capture. And of course, Bonehead Bennett was up there, whether they liked him there or not. So there was all sorts of friction with Bonehead. Who's as Bonehead well. Bennett? You never heard of Bonehead no, Bennett? I have he, not. He'd written some uh, really good hunting books. Yeah, right. Mike Bennett. Mike Bennett. Yeah. Maybe rings a bell more so than Bonehead Bennett. But. Or, or Bonehead. <laughs> that's the only name they knew him by because. He'd earned it. He was an Englishman, if that helps. But, <laughs> but he was a hard ass. But he, but he didn't. He rubbed. He rubbed most people the, the wrong way, and so him and the Eaglings and 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 uh, uh, the other fellow I just mentioned, they all fell out. Really, right. You got to go your separate path sometime. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and and well, so Betty and Charlie Eagling. Gave Bonehead and his wife, and she's still got a place out at St. Bathans now, but not with she's not with Bonehead for, anymore. They gave him a place on, on, on some ground on Muscle Point where they lived for quite some time, but then the, the things got bad. So they warned Bonehead that he couldn't land his aeroplane on, on the Muscle Point strip, see where everybody else landed, but Bonehead wasn't invited. So anyway, one day the, the Bonehead wasn't taking notice, so. But they waited until he came into land one day and went, went down and put a fence around his aeroplane. <laughs> so then the war really started. <laughs> How do you just put a fence up? Eh? How do you just put a fence up? Well, I mean, that that outnumber him. <coughs> yeah, right. Yeah, for a start. So he just had to watch it happen. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, I wasn't there when they did that. but so there was, there was, and, and, of course, Roger Millard was the policeman, and him and Eglin were close hunting mates. Big time, they were they were raw hunters, mm-hmm. barefoot raw, raw hunters, and, the, and I learned to hunt barefoot there. So, well, jump to that now while we're there. You learned to hunt barefoot, mm. and what's what's I guess what's the thinking behind that? Other, other, I mean, it sounds quite off the bat, and with the bow hunting, they're sort of going back that way to the hunting with socks and stuff. But yeah. No, Eagling would only take some sand shoes to put on his feet if he if he got some meat. Right. And in the end, you didn't really need too much on your feet once you got used to the bush because the bush was fine, mm-hmm. and you didn't really knock your feet around too much at all mm-hmm. when they hardened up a bit. So it was just a, it became a good way of getting about and was absolutely silent. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. I was uh, I was actually talking to somebody the other day about. Used to do a wee bit of hunting in the just the black lace up gumboots. 
Yeah. And the, the Ashley model sort of thing. And then then went to actual good boots and then tried to go back to Ashley's. And my ankles just couldn't handle it. And it just, your body just adapts to whatever it's doing. Yeah. But you lose it pretty quick too. Yeah, know, yeah like, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So were you, for that hunting back then, were you, so were you starting to sell venison or? No. No. I was just there because we were working there and, and 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 they'd be and they'd have to go and service their pens and get the animals out and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just went with them and I wasn't engaged with them in any way. They were doing whatever they were doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just filling in the weekends. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and because there was plenty of people that would, there were plenty of airborne hunters that would take the deer out of the pens if they left them there as well. Right. Mm. Well, she was a pretty cutthroat game for a yeah, period it was. of time there. Mm. Yeah, every deer mattered, didn't it? So they needed to, they needed to be on top of it, and so they were taking them out, put them on a tray on the tractor, and then onto the jet boat. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what they do. And the tractor would tractor ride up the gully to, to to the outstation, which was a really good outstation. They went up, they went up a long way further than that, but the, to get up to the outstation, a lot of creek cutouts, dry most mm. of the time. Mm-hmm. So you had. Depending on what what the load was, whether you had any deer on coming back or even going up, you might have had two buggers sitting on the front. Trying to hold her down. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Back before health and safety was an issue. Well, the, the, the whole, when you're going downhill, you had to hold yourself on because otherwise you're going to get run over. <laughs> for a start, you're right. And and when you're going uphill, you counterbalance it and stop it tipping the ass over, kick backwards. It was quite. It was quite something. It's it was quite an important it was job. Totally entertaining the whole bloody thing. <laughs> yeah, just competitive for who was driving. That's right. That's right. So how? So you, they had at least two up there. To right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, cheapest. So and then you were building because I actually know that you, again from my history as a printer and, and printing your books, like you did lots of odd sod jobs in some pretty good hunting country. Did that sort of coincide with? Been able to do a little bit and find some new country and so forth. No, it didn't. Uh, it was a different. It was a different sort of genre, if you like. Yeah. Of this, of the outdoor thing, and and it, we did it because it was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've, my yeah, short summary yeah. on mm. how most of those books finished were: we didn't make any money, and no. if we counted out the bill for the whiskey or the rum, we'd be really buggered. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> well, sometimes that's all we got. <laughs> really. Yeah. And. And if you're unfortunate enough, Simons didn't drink much at all in those days. So he, one big trip when we went down to, to get uh, Jeff Robson's boat that we was it refloated the boat out of mm, Big Bay, was it? No, uh, Gorge River. Gorge, yeah, yeah. We went down and uh, because we took the Eglin's HD six with us and the trailer because we had to pick up the boat, take it to Gorge River, patch it, and get it back to sea and get it back to Jackson's Bay. So. Oh, we camped on 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 top of uh, Sandrock Bluff or something, which is down below the Hope River somewhere. Mm-hmm. The first thing we we hit getting up there was at one stage was a, a wasp nest that we only run over one half of it, and then <laughs> and then <laughs> that's not good. Eagling eagling bails out and leaves the bloody the T uh, the, the HD six sitting on top of the wasp nest. And he won't go back. <laughs> well, don't blame him. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't good because for a start, we're a whole lot of us. There was him and I and Stretch, and two or three eagling kids, and we're all going all, every <laughs> every direction. 
you know, and it wasn't good because they'd be stitching you. <laughs> and the only way to get rid of them was do that with them. Like, yeah, actually squish them. Yeah. yeah, like that. So it wasn't fancy. <laughs> no. And who got back in the dozer? I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. You're and I'd, I'd never driven a, do- a dozer before or since. So I had to get back in and do what Eagling told me because it... Because I had to, we, we had to get, we had to keep going, we, and we sort of had to get the, the bulldozer off the, off the nest for a start. Yeah. <laughs> so so what, were you just on an old um, tram line, or, or what were you sort of following? No, well, the whole story behind that HD six, there was an outfit called Nickel Spoon that went, went down to Gorge River with the HD six, and they were the first to go that way, and there's still an old strip on the Gorge River Plateau that I only landed on just in, in the last six months. It's the first right. time I've been there with, with, with Harvey Hutton, Hutton bugging around and doing something. Mm-hmm. And so they got the HD6 up onto the plateau and made the strip because they were going to mine whatever they're going to mine up there. But the whole nickel spoon thing was a have. Right. So in the end, the HD6 stayed there. And then the eggs bought it for $500 or something. And had to go and get it and bring it home again. It's a huge story when you're talking about bulldozers. <laughs> yeah. And they had to get it back off the mountain again. And it was up like it was up in the at the top of the scrub line. The plateau was basically scrub, but I mean it was up at the scrub line. And they had to get it back down to the Gorge River. And the Nickel Spoon boys had actually taken it up there for a start, which was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up the Gorge River and up the face of the bloody mountain. They didn't know what way they were going any more than the eaglings knew when they were coming out. So they didn't retrace the steps, they just... Well, I think the eggs decided that there might have been a better way, but I'm, I'm not, I don't think they got that <laughs> right. decided, yeah. I, I don't think they got that right. So in, in the end, I think they're lucky they didn't tip it ass have a kick, really. I, th- yeah. I think it was only getting over the front and sort of using the trees in front of you that sort of stopped it from yeah taking, slowed progress taking off yeah and so you took that bulldozer that bulldozer yeah that bulldozer because they took it out and, and then then they owned a bulldozer see so when the, the world was their oyster <laughs> yeah so when the when the Karuba came up the boat yeah Jeff Robson's. We went down there. We took off from here one morning in, in, in the aspiring year 185. 185 it was. Mm-hmm. Or 180. Probably 180. 185, I can't remember. And and picked Eagling up and went away down there and and dealt with... We took a, a local lawyer, Peter Hall, with us, and, and, and there was an insurance agent there, and, and we did a deal. And I think we paid $5,000 for it, which was nuts. But the... the the whole story, so we actually got, we, we picked it up with the, the trailer and then took it to Gorge River and patched the hull and then took it to sea and we got picked up by oh, another West Coast boat and got towed up to Jackson's Bay and, and uh, buggered around with it there and then brought it home to Alexandra and patched it up and, and sold it to a joker, you see, down because it was down in... in uh, Half Moon Bay for a long time, so that that was okay. But and so we'd probably got enough to pay for the whiskey out of that. But in the end, the fellow from Jack from Half Moon Bay rings up and said, "Well, I've got some trouble here." Of course, the seawater had got into the gearbox, so we didn't pay for the whiskey even. 
<laughs> that's instrumental. Don't worry about that stuff. <laughs> so back then, because I was only a young fellow when I was printing them books, the rumour was, and I guess I've always wanted to ask you this, <clears throat> that you used to go up the Old Man Range and dig a snow cave and write your stories up there. Was there truth to that story at all? Uh, the the Paul Olsen fella taught me to, the snow cave troop. I never yeah. bothered writing stories there. Oh, right. Well, that was, that was the no, no. couple he got to. No. But, but we'd done a lot of snow caves. Yeah, right. Just what, walk and then camp and then... And, and, and then dig a hole. Yeah, yeah. And... And we'd take a lot of St Peter's kids or Waitaki boys or St Kevin's kids, wherever he was teaching, we'd take them up there and they can build their own snow cave and would, in the end, in the Fraser Basin, we might end up with about three caves and, 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 and connectors inside. Yeah, right. yeah. It, was, it was hilarious. You wouldn't do that these days for school trips, would you? You know, you probably wouldn't. <laughs> I don't think so, John. I've never stayed in a snow cave, never even... Never even no, got, got close to needing one. Yeah, there's a couple of tricks with snow caves. Yeah. Warm weather's not good because you get a wet ass and it's miserable. So it needs to be freezing. But even then, in a good snow cave, you know, it might be still, it might only be just freezing, minus right. one or two or something. It was quite comfortable. And you, did, and you didn't get wet. Sometimes you punch a bit of a hole in that with an ice axe or something through the top of it to make sure you had a bit of air going out because you always dug it in dug in low and then and burrowed straight up and then built a platform up above so that all, all the warm air didn't escape out the door. Right. Makes sense when you say it. Yeah, well, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, and, no and and you could really, over in the basin, as I say, down by the wee hut down there, we'd have, at one stage we'd have three connected snow caves and there might be a couple of wafters sleeping in the hut, but the rest of you, no way you're going to sleep in the bloody hut. You had to be in the snow cave. And that's, and we took the fella from up up here, just up here. He's still up here. That he used to have the skidoos and take them to all the movies around the place. No, I don't know. I just know the skidoos. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'd take him with us. And that well, that was a bit of insurance, although we, we weren't really worried about insurance, but... Because on a fine day up there, because he could run the kids up and down the hill all day, see? Yeah, yeah. They could go skiing yeah. in the basin. She was bloody... Raw. Was pretty, <laughs> it was, no, but it was outstanding, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mad, yeah. bloody young kids. And, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. It worked real good. Yeah. So then, so speaking of kids, like, mm. you obviously got your boys into into hunting and shooting. Sort of just, I guess, it was a sort of naturally followed. I know they're all, they're all bird shooters. Yeah, well, I was always a bird shooter as well. Uh, waterfowl and upland game. I've, I've mm. been into that all, all my life, and I still go with them. Trouble is now, by the time I get there, they've shot them all. The managing director, you're just there to make sure. <laughs> Pretty much. Although the other day, I, was, I, I might have shot three or four, which is a bit of a change because largely I don't get to shoot bugger all. So that was a big part of bringing them up was was the quail and the and the waterfowl mm-hmm. and and the chooker. Yep, not so plentiful just now. No, but they were when Mac. See, my mate Mac and I were into it big time into the chooker and quail. We'd, it was a bit like uh, the old ex mayor and some of those fellows are these days that they they go twice a week and we'd go twice a week hunting. And and there was quite a number of chooker about then, and you'd 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 
You'd go past 100 quail, if there's six, six chukka run up the hill in front of you, you'd chase the chukka. I said, like, they're, they're, real, they're a lovely game bird. Right. I've never, never tried chukka. They're big time game bird. Yeah. They run like stink. Yeah, hard put to catch up them in. They're only running to gain a bit of height to float off about four miles <laughs> to the next yeah, ridge. Yeah. I've sort of seen a few about. They're lovely birds. Uh, you they're, know, just they're real impressive. About. Yeah, they are they are an impressive bird. Yeah. Uh, but I've never never tried them. But it sort of amazes me that down here they're they're still actually shootable. Um uh, I would have thought they could have done done with being off the licence for a while. I don't think it makes any difference because most Really, I agree with you, but see, the reality is that most people don't even get near them. Right. Mm. And you can, you'll can you find chocolate at 6,000 feet as well, of course. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. go well up quail. Above they, the quail, yeah. Yeah, they go well yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's still good numbers in different places. Yeah, there's in a couple the upper, of in, in the upper Waitaki. Yeah, all oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, and I, the, the, Peter Southey keeps telling me of a, of a mob. Mm-hmm. At, at John's place, but I haven't mm-hmm. seen because I'm, I'm not around. Well, John's I've place, seen but. them on John's. Um, well, I say I've seen them well, on you John's. He, you hear them first, don't yeah. You, you hear sound, them. Sounds like a henyard. But there was probably a couple of three years ago. You'd almost just about see them. You know, a good dozen, fifteen birds every time. Yeah. Um, but certainly not in the last year, eighteen months. You know. And Pete Southey thought there might have been a couple of dozen there, all told. Yeah, I'd, I'd believe that. Like I say, mm. I was. I was always doing other things. I was never chasing birds when I saw them. Because Pete Southey, that worked for us for a long time, that lives yep. at Galloway, you know, the gun dog man. Yeah. He's a mate of Ray Tinsley's, who was a, a, a dead, mad, keen, bloody wobbity hunter. Right. Yeah, because well, Pete's an old colour, isn't he? Or had yeah, a, he is. had a period of time. He yep. is. He'd been in the Waitaro. So back to your, your time in Fjordland, because you've actually got a good wobbity ball on the wall. Where was. Where was that hunt? Where did that hunt take place? Uh, Waterfall Creek, with the with the Harrison man. He he took me up there. I think it's is it Takahi Creek these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In there, mm-hmm. it was a good spot. Uh, yeah, Saul, yeah. me and Saul, yeah, nice Saul did a hunt in there. Yeah, yeah. The only thing is you got to scramble. You you got you got to know to get into Just it. A bit so of clambering. Yeah, 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 yeah. But once you're there, it's. Okay, isn't it? Yeah, no, mm. no, it was actually really beautiful. Yeah, um, mm. and sort of you could climb up to the top and then see yeah. quite a bit of country. Yeah, right, and good country too. But so that was you were deliberately looking for a ball at that point. Yeah, we were. Yeah, yeah, like so a bugle hunt. Yeah, bugle hunt. hunt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pride of place on the, on yeah, the lounge. He, yeah, he's only two nine two. Yeah, it's just pretty. Yeah, I don't like I I yeah. I fully advocate that. Scores are one thing, and I mm. guess they are in part a benchmark, but they shouldn't be everything. No. You know, um, yeah. people unfortunately put a bracket on an animal based on that, and I just don't think that's right. And, and like we talked about before we started podcasting over in Scotland with the switches and stuff, you know, it's a it's a completely different environment to go for a hunt with those guys, and they, they have no intention of shooting anything that's got any potential. It doesn't, yeah. it's not even a, a thought process. Right. Yeah. Like, literally, why would you shoot that? Yeah, and then versus there's some rubbish or there's an old boy that won't make another winter like he's the one and they go home with massive pride on it and I think that's a great great attribute of hunters you know to think that we can all be different you know yeah yeah I in the end I didn't carry on with trophy hunting uh oh 
my life's been in a different, like most people's lives. You do, you have periods doing different things, don't you? Yeah, and yours you, has got a few different things in it, John. And, and, and you come and go on them, don't you? But, yeah. And Fielding's always appealed to me. Well, while we're sort of still on that vein of earlier on, like you started writing books, I guess just to document your stories, or just to share it. Like, what, what was the, what's the thought process behind writing the books? I don't know. I, I started. Writing stories that I'd do them up in A4s and give them to my family. That's what yep. I'd do. Or if anybody wanted one. So I'd write all these stories and, 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 the, and the publication of a, of a book, the first book, which was The River of Blood, The Wire Toto, came from that. But it was a bloody process. I had quite a big, huge book that I'd... I remember it. That I'd, I'd put a lot of work into. Yeah. But And I was gutted when people told me, it's just a load of shit, Jack. You'll, <laughs> you'll, have, you'll have to do something else about that. Yeah. Because it, it won't go. Well, it's been the basis for about three books since yeah. then. Yeah. Including The river, uh, river of Blood. And what happened there, I'd done all this writing and tried to get this book thing together and I was going nowhere and I had no freaking idea what to do next. So Tony Gilbert, who's a family friend, he's a godfather of Trevor Breen, he he lived here for a long time be, before he started travelling around and be, before he came an all-black coach and all that sort of thing. And he's a close friend to this day. He introduced me to a fellow he knew called by the name of Brian Turner, who had just moved into a Turihua. And Brian's a well-known outdoorsman, conservationist, real conservationist, writer, poet, really accomplished man, mountaineer, all those things, really accomplished man. So Brian had been a publisher himself, and he'd had a a long-term girlfriend who was who was was the head charang on Long Acre Press, which was a, a, a Dunedin-based publishing company. So that cracked it for me in the end. and uh, So I had a long way to go still because it, the, these people, well, the, they were all women, which is neither here nor there, but they they educated me in, in, in what how things needed to be in terms of being professional about what you're writing and 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 having a level of ac- accomplishment, if you like, that will appeal to the public and and make mm-hmm. somebody some money. That, that there was a big evolution for me, mm-hmm. but but anyway, that that's how that first book turned out. And you're writing one again now, or currently? Yeah. Yeah. What's this one? Well, nearly two years ago now, the Eagling Boys took me to down to Fiordland. To go on a trip with them on a fishing boat that had come come round from Timaru and pick us up at Milford and take us down to the idea was go to, to go to Dusky and Preservation, and I'd been in Dusky a bit chasing the moose, but I'd never been in Preservation. So we the reason that the fisherman come round and got us is that he was a mate of Kerry's brother, who Cliff, who died. And they were close mates, so this was sort of a memorial trip, and we'd go down to, we'd go down to, Dusky and Preservation, and they took me as, the historian. Well, the first thing, the first thing that happened, I got hugely seasick for some reason or other. I'd never been as seasick in my life. 
so that didn't help. But anyway, I soon got over that. That didn't worry. Well, at the time it worried me, like seasickness does, but nah. I had to get over it because I wasn't going to miss out on the fun. So we spent about 12, 12 days down there, mm-hmm. and uh, all it really taught me was there was that much I didn't know it wasn't funny. So I've been spending the last two years catching up on that and, 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 and sort of uh, writing about Dusky and preservation because, see, Dusky's got Captain Cook coming there for about eight weeks and... Uh, 1773 or something and there's a lot written about that and you know the first real one of New Zealand's great naturalists was Richard Henry who, who spent about 13 years there trying to save the kakapo and the, and, and, the, and the kiwi by capturing them off the mainland and put them on Resolution Island on the on the basis that... Hopefully it was less or low, lack of predator. Yeah, but because it was too far for them to swim. Mm. Well, that proved a huge failure. <laughs> the intent was right. Well, full circle, it, 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 it's done all right. They now say there's 200 adult kakapo in the world, and a lot of them are on Anchor Island, uh, no, uh, is it Codfish Island, on the, on the west of Stuart Island, and... and there's another. Uh, there's little barrier in uh, Haraki Gulf, and uh, and and the other one is uh, Anchor Island and Dusky Sound. So, and it's got to the point, and they had a, they just had a big scare with us. Spurgulosis being a, a, a sort of bovine sort of a respiratory disease mm-hmm. that started killing them off. But anyway, they got this bird hospital in Dunedin now, the animal, you know, the wildlife hospital in yep, Dunedin. Yep. Well, I think they've saved the day, to be honest. Yeah, right. So what might happen, because there's intense trapping going on in Dusky, all around the place, Resolution and and the mainland, and the idea behind that, or one of the ideas behind it, is it'll be a safe haven again for Kiwi. But also, they're running out of room for the Kakapo, so... Richard Henry would just be beside himself to know that one day, very soon, they may well release Kakapo again on that's Resolution Island. That's a good story. Yeah. Really so that's, story. this is all part of what your book is well, takes yeah, on? Yeah. yeah, yeah. In, in a sort of a, a thumbnail way, because mm-hmm. you're talking about Captain Cook and, and his relationship with the whole of the place, and you're talking about warring Maori down there, and, and they were at each other. Good and proper, no, no question about it. And, and all that's in preservation, and, and you know, you know, you, you can find the places where all that took place. And there's human history all around the place because when Cook went back home and come, and then he was killed in Hawaii. Anyways, that was the end of that. That was his third voyage, and he was killed. So, but he'd written enough so that whalers and sealers come from all over the, the world, mm. and they went to. Amongst other places in New Zealand and, and Australia, Bass Strait and Tasmania and Australia, they they swarmed to Fiordland. Seals were everywhere. Mm, thick. And 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 that didn't last too long because they went after them big time. And then the whales. There was all sorts of vagabonds and bloody hard ass stories that you know it's a real it's a real. Seminal sort of a place mm. anyway, mm-hmm. and they've got all this shit going on. <laughs> and then you, you know, later on you've got the crayfishmen, and then you've got the 
Benson Hunters and the Tim Wallaces and the Doug Maxwell and all this stuff. And yeah. it, it just goes on and on and on. And well, it's a frontier, isn't it? And, One and, of our frontiers. Yeah, well, there's no question about it because, see, there was all this life down there in, in Dusky and Preservation, which is a quite a some big waterways. Yeah, Bloody big, big waterways. <laughs> and there's been a lot of human activity there. Pretty aggressive stuff, but there's been a lot of human activity. And people lived there. And there was a couple of gold towns and preservation and all that sort of thing. There's still not one human, not one that's permanently living in any of that place today. Not one. Yeah, right. It's pretty pristine. Well... And it takes its own back because soon, soon there'll only be the written stories and and and, and the photography, perhaps, and this, and the art and that sort of thing. Because a lot of the places like Cuttle Cove, where the whaling stations were, and that, and and Cromarty and Tiana Row, that were the wee gold towns, you can find nothing. The mm. bushes, the bushes got it all back. Yeah, right. Whereas in Central Otago. You got you got people still living in 18, 1860, 1862 gold towns in St. Bathensdorf, mm-hmm. Matakanui. They're still living in the damn things. Yeah, down there you can't find anything to do with no. it. It's gone. It's gone. There's and just, it's happening quick. There is just the forest. Yeah, because even even um, I've done a wee bit of hunting down around Port Craig, and that I know you've spent some time down there. Like yeah. that bush is taking some of that stuff back pretty quick too. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you end, yeah, like you end up chasing the dogs up in different places, and you'll be running through what looks like cr- pristine bush, then you'll clang into a big old bit of steel, or <laughs> you know, God knows what. Like it's taken that back as well. Yes, and there's it, lots. Interesting place down there. There is some really good pieces of bush, but there's there's some great some tracks of crap as well, yeah, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, And the deer are rats. Yeah, <laughs> everything was a rat down there. It was terrible. The deer are rats. Yeah, yeah. But um, we've touched on it a couple of times now, and, and it's one of the bigger topics that me and you quite often joke about, at yeah. least. The moose. The yeah, Jordan the moose. moose. The moose. Where, when, did, when did your attachment to the moose start, and, and why did it start? Well, Bamford, see, was the key. He was involved with Tustin a bit. Of course, Tustin's Mr. Moose. So Bamford, and of course, Harrison, this man I keep going back to, you know, the the, the Deerstalkers Paradise mm-hmm. man. He had a mate, Jimmy McIntosh, and and they went to Wet Jacket Arm, and Jimmy shot a cow moose. Right. What year? What year? When uh, the 50s. Yeah. Early yep. 50s, about the time when the last of them were yep. shot. Alan's never forgiven him. <laughs> that was the end of Jimmy for Alan. He's, yeah. Like, he's very formal, and, and he had very fixed ideas about conservation of game species he was mm-hmm. he, you loved him to bits mm. he was really into it big time. Right. like some of those people were yeah yeah and he was just he was one of them and he wasn't impressed with Jimmy at all he, the last thing he would ever have done would, would have shot a cow moose cow moose so Bamford was was in it see so mm-hmm. and, and Tustin had been in it from an early age he got interested in it probably in the late 50s 60s I suppose too so Tustin becomes sort of the leading light in terms of it. And I, I didn't go there that often, but I I went to Wet Jacket a bit. And these, these trips were deliberately to look yeah. for moose. Yes. Yep. Specifically. And it took a long time to get your head around what was happening, what what was and what wasn't and what was red deer and 
Because people keep saying, oh, it'll be, it'll be whoppity. Well, it's not whoppity. Whoppity away the halfway up bloody field. And they never, no whoppity ever ended up down there. So it took a long time to get a sort of a feeling for me because Bamford had been in it a bit with Tussin and then I started going with him and, and, and Tony Chittick from South Otago and Bamford and I would, oh, and Bamford's brother and Bamford's boys and we'd all go down and do a bit down there. Still, you know, Wet, wet, wet Jacket's a place, even today, where you and I, you and I would understand it, but you could take somebody inexperienced into a, into a gully in, in Wet Jacket arm, turn around six times and he'd say, well, this, I'm the first one here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still like that today. Yeah. It's an outstanding place. And so, what, so this desire to go and find moose, was this sort of just explorative or was it about the conservation of the species or what What, what was driving it? Well, I become convinced pretty quickly that these fellas knew what they were talking about and I wanted... I wanted to be part of that, so that—that's what was driving it. I, I was—I was interested and I was impressed, and it was a real story, and and it, it wasn't an easy story because it really—you'll know far, far more than I. But it's not ideal moose country for a start. No, it's too bloody vertical <laughs> and not enough. Of, of, well, they don't mind the steep stuff, but yeah, yeah, yeah but so. It was it was a real intriguing story and and then I bought it, yeah. yeah, and then so we had to sort of try and. I mean, for a long time, I think you'd go there and you wouldn't know what you saw, so you had to be educated. Yeah, and it it come back to pretty simple facts. I think like you could talk about the the droppings, or you could talk about. The footprints and all that, but you know, but they're pretty hard to be conclusive because it pisses rain and the droppings deteriorate and the and the footprints just disappear or splay out and mud, and so it's not so. So the the real physical signs of the moose in the end, to me, you know, I'm sure that Bamford and, and Tustin would basically agree. Was that the way that they 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 feared, mm-hmm. the way that they browsed, and it became apparent that you could almost smell where you were with a moose because if you got onto a place where the moose were, the feed ground would be just smashed to bits, just pulled to bits, the five finger, and that sort of thing would be smashed off at his base. The 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 ribbon wood would be walked down four meters high would be walked down and stripped from end to end and things like that things that that red deer or whoppity even the whoppity weren't there but the, the red deer or whoppity didn't don't do because they're deer they pick mm-hmm. you know they didn't but these things just blew it to bits yeah and so when because you've obviously seen that sign. Yeah, I have. When, yeah, I when have. are we but, talking about here? Like, well, I think that they'll have to. I'd have to just. I, I can confirm it, but uh, probably the last trip I took there might have been the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Not that long ago. And well, there was two things about it. There was two things about it. 
this that, that sign. Well, and I'll get I'll get back to the sign and and where it was. There's that sign, and then there was the hairs. And these have always been the, I guess, the big ticket item. The hairs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no question about it that we were in wet jacket when a fellow Kelvin Harper, I think his name was, came around on a yacht or something from. From from Shark Cove and and, and and which is just opposite Supper Cove and around the corner in, in the main dusky waterway, and he had these hairs, big long bloody things that mm-hmm. don't, don't fit in a, a, a you know a big long hunk of them like that. Yeah. Well, they've been DNA'd mm-hmm. as as moose, and uh, and that was say in two thousand or thereabouts. And where was had he just found those? He found it. The general idea is that you don't actually find them in the bed. You find them hooked up somewhere where they're feeding, mm-hmm. as you'll realise, because mm-hmm. you, you can find the red deer here the same way. Yep. So had, was, but was he was he also looking for moose? Yeah, he was. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so he was. Yeah, he, he was. Delivery. He wasn't. He was into yeah. it. Yeah, he he was into it. Right. Okay. Hmm. And so, uh, Tustin still got got that here, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, I've I've seen it since again. And mm-hmm. you know, it, you can't argue with that. Mm. I don't think. And you can also look at the photograph that Ken says is a moose and and at Moose Lake. And oh yeah, well it's it, it, it's a bit vague. It's it's, yeah. it's not as, as it's good not as, conclusive. Well, the only the only thing that, I put it this way, I put it another way. I'd say that's either a moose or a horse, and I can tell you there's no fucking horses in wet jacket arm. <laughs> right. That's the way I'd put it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I'd be quite definitive about it, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and the other thing that we did, Mark Deeker, we got to know Mark Deeker, Dick Deeker's son. Mark's chief pilot for the Wallace family at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mark's a good man. Got to know him a bit. And Mark was flying for Hannibal. And he was ducking and diving in and out of there all the time. And he was interested. And he he saw stuff that interested him, so he put down and went to look for it and look at it. And this was in... This, in all places, was... On the on the northern side of Doubtful Sound, in an unnamed river, you might have heard of a place called Campbell's Kingdom, have you? No. Haven't you? There's a great photograph of Timmy Wallace's helicopters. Campbell's Kingdom's at the head of a, a huge bloody chasm that looks like a helicopter won't even fit in. And what happens, it's a little gorge that might be 2K long. When it rains properly, it can't get down the chasm the river fills up behind it and forms a temporary lake, mm-hmm. and it's called Campbell's Kingdom. Hmm. Right? So Mark, in one of the branches of this, had found this stuff. So Tustin went, and then Tustin and Bamford went, and then Bamford and I and Tony Chittick went. And I can show you the photos of this this browse, this bloody walk down Ribbonwood and, and beaten up, Buddy five finger and beaten up, buddy uh, stuff. So 
that was that was conclusive to me. Mm-hmm. We went back another time, and the browse that we saw was still hanging up the tree, hanging, flapping around. Mm-hmm. But there were no moose there. It was old. Right. And all I can say about all that stuff is that the only piece of real evidence that I can put together is that Trevor Breen had a, had a Swedish girlfriend for a long time, and they come from middle Sweden somewhere. We went and stayed with, up there for, for three weeks. So you could do some moose investigating. Well, that's what it ended up. <laughs> of course it did. Because because what it, what it backed up is... And of course, the Swedes they laugh their tits off at me. But who's this bastard with you? And 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 one of them's done a, a skit about it that I'll, I'll put in a book someday. But but I could tell them what I was looking at, and they'd laugh their tits off at me. But I could tell them what I was looking at, and I'd seen it before. Mm-hmm. So when when are we talking now from the, this last bit of sign up in this chasm? No, oh, that was probably two thousand five or something. Right. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Right. So we had a fair idea by then that what we what we thought was going on, and that we were on the purple patch, really. Yeah. But it didn't last, of course. And when Bamford went there to put back by himself because he's a tough old prick, and, and put up put cameras in there for a while, but we didn't get anything from it. But and that sort of it's about where. Uh, I've been in wet jacket a bit with different people, but mostly just poking around and up mm. around, because it's always worthwhile a walk up up uh, here at Creek and into Moose Lake and up around the top, and mm. it's a good piece of ground, well worth having a look, having a look at. So in in the end, I, I'm a believer. I don't think there's any question about it. I, I think that it was moose that were there, and I'm not. Oh, I'm not. I, I think it's. A, I think it's about the end somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Because I think there's too too few, too far apart, and they can't breeding wise. They won't be able to make a go of it. I think. I think mm. it's as simple as that. Yeah, th- and, that's my. And and whether that's a done deal right now or not, there's a fellow called Alex Gale from Christchurch. Yep. Who's apparently. Putting cameras somewhere because he, he's found sign. Right. He's not saying where, but mm-hmm. yeah. But Tustin's pulled his out and, and gone away doing other things because Tustin and I, I, I got one of my publishers through Ken Tustin because Ken keeps writing books and yeah, there's we, a we've got couple the, there. We got the same publisher. Right. Yeah, well, we did have. He's retired, but mm-hmm. so yeah, we you know we know each other and quite like each yeah. other. So run me through a moose hunting trip. Well, no, moose scouting trip. Well, a moose scouting trip probably would be, say, Tony Chittick and I, and perhaps another fella, and John Bamford and one or two of his kids, and and, and would split. So a helicopter would put, say, three of us somewhere in, in the Henry Burn, which comes out at Supper Cove, right? And the, and the Bamford... There's an interesting river at the head of Wetjack. A lot of these rivers haven't got names even today. No names at all. And Bamford and his boys might bloody head away into the head of that and work their way back into the sound. And we'd have mountain radios. 
So Turpin convert. We didn't have them in the, in the early days, but we, yeah, in the end we had mountain radios. Mm. So that was fine, so you could talk at night a bit, mm-hmm. catch up. And so what were you going for, like a week or ten days? or Probably about ten days. Yeah. 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 Well, it wasn't worth it for anything less than ten days. No, really. no. Because there was there was quite a bit of ground in the, in the Henry burn. Well, there's quite a bit of ground as a whole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even yeah. in the Henry Burn itself, there was quite a bit of ground, and there was a place up, up there's a wee saddle between the Herrick Creek and the Henry Burn called Tussins Bivy. And we'd go into the Henry Burn and probably spend three or four days there and hunt the side creeks of, of the Henry Burn. Probably, we didn't often hunt alone. Pretty big country. mm <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We, we needed a little bit of security. I yeah, think. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. If if anything, it offered encouragement. Mm. So and then, so did you over over all these trips? Did you repetitively go over the same country, or were you just always on the move looking at new country? Well, yeah. Because, see, so some of that country at the head of Wet Jacket is is pretty big, mm. and so it's a big watershed. So that took a lot, lot of looking at, mm. and as I say, the Henry Burn stuff and, and and back into Herrick Creek, there was there was upstream, downstream, and 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 the site. You know, there was plenty to to do there mm. in terms of ferreting around. Because the other thing, what it took me a while to work out was, yeah, it's quite, it's not hard to pick up where deer lie, is it? Mm. In the end, mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. you once you've done a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we never come come upon a place where we thought it was moose, right? And what we were looking for was really snagged here as much as anything. Plus, mm-hmm. destroyed vegetation were the two things that we were looking for. Yeah, really. yeah. So, and then w- what would happen is that we we might do a drop of a dinghy or something down at the base of Herrick Creek in the sound, because what would have to happen is once say we got there, we'd have to go up and get the other fellows and. Mm-hmm. and and then, and then we'd hunt base in the sound. You could go over to Oki Island and, and deal with all all the tributaries that come in, other tributaries that come into Wet Jacket. Yeah. So, what time of year were you doing this? Well, I think it was it was around about hunting season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't like raw season, so mm. that late late March, April, mm. sort of. Pretty much. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, because we didn't airdrop then, we just had what we had, but mm. we were well set up, we put a mm. lot of effort into it, and a, mm. a lot of detail into the tucker, yeah. and were careful about what we bloody took and what we what we needed, mm-hmm. we were well set up. Yeah. Mm. On that, I just talked to my business partner in Canada this morning, because mm. he's just buying all the food for our trip that starts this weekend. It's going to be a different version of current that comes off the mountains in 21 days' time, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what happened down here as well. Yeah. See, one of the things that I do is that Val may dehydrate mints. Mm-hmm. So it was a dehydrate mint, dehydrate mints and bloody rice, really. Yep. That's about what it was. Yeah, we'll be And most of it was similar. based around that, really. But yeah. it was, you know, I mean. Well, that's what it is. You know, it was all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. well, we, I, th- I think for, the, for this might. coming up, hunt, we've got um, food getting flowing in on 
10 or 11 type thing. So. We didn't... We did, we we wouldn't take any canned food or any, any any of that sort of bloody stuff at all. We'd take none of that sort of stuff. It'd be milk powder and bloody da da and da da. Yeah. And, and the mints would be bagged up in so many grams per day, yeah, yeah. three juggers or two Keep juggers. You running. The whole fricking deal was. And I've still got the lists, and they're they're bloody detailed. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's really cool actually. So we we. We didn't, it wasn't just the one environment because once you got down in wet jacket, well, of course, you could catch a fish as well, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that brought another perspective to it, which a lot of places like Dusky and Preservation, you know, the likes of East, the East Coast of Stewart Island, that, well, like as in Pegasus, all those places. You have to have a dinghy, for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you might as well not even have any legs. Yeah, You've got yeah. to have a dinghy, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you got to move. Yeah. So That's cool. Pegasus, They're cool adventures. Eh? They're cool adventures. Yeah, yeah well, like, they were. They were bloody. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know Ken Dustin. I'd love to do a podcast uh, with him. But. Yeah, I didn't hunt with Ken because, but as I say, I know Ken quite well yeah. through a bit of writing and a bit of this and that, and, and, and we, you know... <laughs> He doesn't need to convert me. I'm I'm converted. Yeah, but for, for all my, because yeah. hmm. I've never gone looking for moose down there, so hmm. I'm only saying from I guess my comparative knowledge or or understanding of moose. Yeah, but the one thing I have always thought was, well, Christ, at your age and no disrespect and Ken's age and stuff, if I can get them out of bed, they go to field them for ten days, then good on them. Hmm. Like have yeah. at it. There's guys there, a thirty year age that wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's right. It's not easy country. No, it's not. There'll, there'll be listeners. I've got listeners sort of all around the world. Like Fiordland, for me, my version, a, a whoppity bull, a genuine whoppity bull hunt, ten day hunt or whatever, is the hardest hunt out there. And I, you, you can't buy it. So therefore, you've got to go and then you've got to carry it. You've got to go in there like you're going to do ten days in torrential rain because. Even when the weather forecast is good, you're still going to get ten days of torrential rain. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's a tough hunt and it's and, a tough area. And we we weren't nuts about it though. No, uh, we would sleep we'd sleep out or under a rock or whatever. We weren't like Tinsley. I think Tinsley took it to another level again, and that it, he just roamed around and, and parked up under a bloody tree. How's his hips today? He's, well, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. There's always he he probably was yeah well, well, that's getting back to the whoppery and there's some great stories there as well but so the moose thing was just it, it was it, it was a good sort of a round off to, to the to the whoppery thing really and mm-hmm. in the same place and a place I hadn't been and yeah and that's why I'm so pleased to go back to it now and and do a little bit of writing about the the southwest because it frickin appeals to me yeah. It is one of those environments. It is just something else. You go in there, like I've, you know, the the whoppity hunts and so forth that I've done. Yeah. You go in there and by day 10, all you want to do is see the town. But literally by the time you get to the other side of that lake, you'd go back in there in a heartbeat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's the way it works. It is, I, don't know, I don't know what it is, because it's not like your body's quite ready to do <laughs> no, it. No, but, not. But mentally, you just yeah, go back the there. Yeah, that's the way. Yeah. No, it is. It's a magic area. We're lucky to have it. Yeah, we are. And... Yeah. So few people really are, are privileged enough to be, actually dig their way into it mm-hmm. uh, at, 
at any real level because most of them think they've been to Fiordland because they've been on the frickin' boat of Milford, for yeah, Christ's sake, yeah, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Or on yep. the boat out to the bloody sea at Doubtful or something like that, and they think they've been to Fiordland. Well, come on. No, there's nothing quite but like... I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not trying to decry them, but... No, 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 I get what Milford's you mean. Fiordland's an intense place, and, there's, there's and one you've got to be on your game, don't cause you? Because I've, um, I've obviously family from England and so forth, so I've taken them down there and done the tourist route. And and they're in awe of the mountains and so forth. But it doesn't compare to stepping foot off a boat onto a shore and looking straight up and thinking, how, that, how is this going to work? Like yeah. the Luger burn is one for me. Yeah, You go in there and you just, other than the one creek coming out, mm-hmm. there's not a crack in that wall. <laughs> and you just think, where's this guy yeah. taking me? And then, you know, once you get in there and poke away, it opens up and it's more than manageable. Yeah, But from an appearance and the whole mental aspect of, actually getting off that boat and thinking, right, well, the next 10 days is me and this. Yeah. It's a very different train of thought than just looking at it. And see, what these juggers taught me to do, because Harrison had, had, had done, perhaps, him and his mate had done a big trip out of Blystown and back into the Glaznock. And I haven't really documented anybody who's done it previously to him, but there will possibly be, but it was made where the weather was terrible. And his mate, got his face burnt and hands burnt by an exploding bloody white spirit. And they were in the George River and they're on the wrong side. And he's no he's no blatherer, Alan Harrison. He's I don't like porridge. Alan Harrison would eat it cold for afternoon tea and love it. <laughs> he he's a real man of the Yeah. The mountains really. He told me that his mate was no good, and what he had to do was hold his rifle on him. Right. Mm. We're not staying. Right. We're going. Yeah, right. Mm. Encouragement. So get off your ass. Encouragement or enforcement, one or the other. Enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. So well, the, if that's what it took. Yeah, if that's what it took, because he could, he could, because no communication at all, and probably too far one way and... Not far enough the other. Yeah, and all, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. so the option was... Yeah, no option at all. So the, 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 there was a, there's all that sort of thing about Fjordland, isn't it? That yeah, mm-hmm. it's a mental game. Fjordland's a mental game. Like yeah. there's obviously the the physical. You need to be physically ready for safety and so forth, but mentally it can shut you down before the physicality could. Yeah, you know, just by looking at it, by by yeah. thinking that it's too much, by yeah, by not breaking it down to manageable steps. And, That's right. You know, see, say if you're going. If you go up the Glazenock, well, you've got to have the river right for a start. But you can still get up the Glazenock. Well, you get tr- you get into big trouble at the Henson Burn if it's pissing too yeah, much. Yeah, because that that's a problem. That's that's <laughs> where me and Saul did our first ever uh, and hunt. Well, you, you we know, went don't out you? There, up the Henson Burn, and then we climbed out of the Henson Burn straight back into the Glazenock, which ran, ran about we, where the Rock Bivy is, I suppose. Yeah, which we it? never should have climbed up there, right. like in hindsight. Yeah. And we knew it at the time, but we got we were committed. It was not a safe route, you know. And then you're down there, and then you cross up with that Taki Creek, and this was all you know, pre-ballot sort of. Mm. The world was our oyster type. Mm, of course. Yeah, no, that was that was one of the good hunts. But yeah, that Henderson burn on the way down was really far, and we had to sit there for the night. Yeah, um, that'd be right. That's 
you know, and which is it's a hard bullet to swallow because you you know Cause, cause the hut's not, not that far away at that point. No, and like, you're, you know, you're not in great order. You got a wet ass. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The like, sand are eating you. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You're just that much too close to the coast. So. So, well, not the coast, the lake. So. so, see, in the early days, we might have put a drop on Orskin Pass. So we'd head for Orskin Pass and then grab that, and there's a big rock bivy down in, in the Pit River. So we'd put a basin. It, it, it was a cold bivy, but it was it was it was okay. Yeah. It was quite good. Yeah. And so we'd work out of there and back along the back along the river. This is the, in the Culling. Above Lake Beddoes. Well, either or, Culling or Trophy or Hunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next airdrop would be on the fourth tributary, which is quite a wee way mm-hmm. out of there. Mm-hmm. Like to get out of the 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 rocket, the pit, and get to the the airdrop on the fourth tributary would be two big days. And then that's above McDonald's Creek at the at the big hook, the big second hook and blow sound. That's about where that is. So Alan Harrison, he he he'd be. He'd be getting on a bit, so so uh, he knew the fourth tributary. So him and Rodney Bamford, I think, he was fit and keen. They had to go and get they had to go and get the airdrop because we were going to camp somewhere in the fourth tributary. So and we were struggling to get there. Well, Harrison he he got hypothermia on the finish that day, and in the end. He could do very little for himself, so you know you've seen that sort of thing yep. as much as I have. So you, yep. you have to deal with that. You have to be very careful. Well, you've got to be very vigilant at that point. Well, yeah. prior to that, very obviously, careful, intentionally. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So it caught him out a bit, and it was a hot day and all that sort of stuff, and it caught him out a bit. So, and he he he, he didn't. He was very fit, and, and he was no. He didn't attack this stuff like you and I might on occasion. <laughs> and he drank water and bloody ate yeah, porridge sort of stuff. Right. Well, even he got caught yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think in some form, well, actually, it's not in any form at all. Anybody can get caught at any time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. Because what sort of gear were you, what sort of clothing were you wearing? Well, you wouldn't have polyprop anyway, would you? no. So, wool singlets, uh, there'd, there'd be wool singlets and, yep. and swannies, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Although you very quickly get caught out by a swanny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very they were quickly. good for TV ads. <laughs> <laughs> I made the mistake of taking a swanny once in no raincoat. Ugh. It didn't work. No. That's it, why you did it once. Yeah. It didn't work. No. No. It didn't work. No, no. Yeah, I, I like I've had a few swan dries, but and Bamford tells me about how blue I looked, getting, right? Getting along the tops one day towards a, a rendezvous of some sort, and it so happened we ended up in the wrong place as well because we we didn't know the bush, but so we we're heading for a place and say heading back towards the George River, but we didn't get there, and we were wet and cold, and we had to camp on the ridge. It was all right because we we were never lost. Well, but we weren't in the place that we should have been. So yeah, yeah. were we lost or weren't we? Yeah, yeah exactly. We're, What's your definition? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had to Misplaced. we had to sit up there, and, and and that's the other thing about Fjordland. When there's a 
when the weather goes nuts and you're sitting on a ridge and you're not in a great position and and you probably there's not much good about it. You, you're not even dry, and then the big ones come and bloody beat you up all night. Mm. And the roll, the roll of it, and all that. She's pretty awe-inspiring, isn't it? <laughs> awe-inspiring is one definition. It's a fucking terrible. <laughs> it's really, well, it it's, it's just defining, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. defining. Yeah, really. Yeah, it is. It is. It is one hell of a place. The last, the last one I did in there was actually in that Luger room, like I mentioned before. And we went up over there, climbed up that inaccessible creek and went along that uh, ridge there. And that that was much the same as one of those trying to traverse up there. The fog came in so we couldn't actually see. And the, the, Typically like Central Targo lad, when you get that fog you get it because there's no wind. But mm. up there you get both for some reason. I don't know how that works, but it's, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, it's no yeah, good. Yeah, and you... I don't know, like it's it's daunting as hell looking at the size of those mountains, but then it's equally as daunting when you can't see them. Yeah, well, <laughs> and the easterly is no good for that. Mm. I suppose the only thing you know is that it's pro- if it's east, too big an easterly, it's not going to rain that hard. It's not that it's going to be good, <laughs> but it's not going to rain that hard. That's yeah. the only good thing about the easterly, isn't it? Because it, it'll it'll fog you up completely. Yeah, yeah. won't it? It is a good spot. So you you don't have anything left for Fjorden? Write this book. No more big adventures down there? Uh, I'm I'm thinking about an easy one, but I'm not sure that I'll do it. I just don't want to get myself into a corner that I'm a, I become a difficulty. Because mm. I could I could do an easy one with, with my sons or with my couple of mates. I could, if you got put off a wet jacket, you could do here at Creek and and, and spend the night in Tustin's bivy. It's just a bloody a cliff face, really. And then drop into the Henry Burn. And so you'd probably do... You might only do one night out between Wet Jacket and uh, Supper Cove. Two at the most. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then 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 you've got the dusky track to get back to West Arm. Well, yep. That'd be sort of a girls' trip, really. But oh, easy. But it, <laughs> but you know, it'd be yeah. The level of thought about that, if I could, yeah, make that work. Yeah, just yeah. without because I, I can't carry much anymore. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Mm. Right. Well, you shouldn't need to. That's what the boys are for. Yeah, that's right. That Peter be ready. He's ready to carry something for sure. Yeah, he's pretty fit, Pete. Yeah, he's pretty fit. And so the the bird season. Well, it's all finished up now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Probably yeah. a bit late finishing, I think, the end of August. For the... Have you noticed much in the way of changes for the birds around here? I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a avid bird shooter. Perhaps one day when I give up the pig dogs, I'll go to a bird deer dog type thing. I you know, haven't. Don't know yet. But um, she's a poor old quail. We got a bloody hammering. Yeah, they do. The quail. They never cease to amaze me. Like. Probably the number of birds in close here are quite amazing. There's always a few on your lawn, John. Yeah, and, and people just love that to bits, of course. Yeah. Of course, they think you're the meanest bastard if you actually go and shoot them <laughs> as well. But I've sort of chased them all my life, and the, and the dog and the gun and the man and the hills and Central Otago doesn't come much better, really. No. So uh, I don't think the... Sanders country is is what it was. I don't. I, no, well, just the number of people. I think so. I think there's too much going on. 
between that and the motorbikes and the just the disruptive, and the, but then there's still the cats and the, you know, like yeah, well, still, the, the, well, that's why they, that's why they amaze me in close that they survive. Yeah, and I think there's only I think the real reason for that is that because Saul said there recently, oh, they're not good parents, but I think he's fucked up completely. <laughs> I don't think that's right. Yeah, I think really. The quail, what the quail don't like, because you know what they like, the little yeah, and if it's wet and cold as well, and the mm-hmm. and the season's got long grass and that, they they like nice short bloody mm-hmm. grass, mm-hmm. and because mm-hmm. largely, a lot of the times, you know, they do eat broom seed, but they don't eat briar, and all you get in the crop is a little wee clover clover leaves and little yeah, yeah, bundles yeah. of you know. They they like the open dry country. Yeah. But well, so and it's been weirder here the last couple of years. Yeah. Too. So I think they survive that well here because it's in the breed that where they come from they've got plenty of ground predators. So I think that's why they survive these bastards here. Mm. You're the cunning birds here. Like you know you see them flying, but then they hit the ground and they run like shit, and they they never where you thought they were last. So when um when does the book when's the book plan to come out? Uh, this we want to uh, I hope to have it out in in a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people can buy these books. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I I I'm self publishing it because I don't think it I don't think I get anybody to buy into it as a as a upfront publisher. But yep. who knows? So I might only do a small run yep. and just see if I get any real interest. And if I don't, a lot of it's got to do with around the the, the West Coast family, and and this yeah. was a memorial trip, and here's something yeah, yeah, yeah. for the people and that sort of thing. And yeah, but people can buy your um, Waitoto book though. That went out to yeah, to yeah. publishers and stuff. Yeah, well, the yeah, yeah, all the others have been published by mm-hmm. by reputable publishers. Mm. Yep, yeah, I'll put a a link on our podcast notes at the end so people can. Oh yeah. Purchase them and stuff okay. like that. All right, then I'll close it off. Well, I uh, appreciate your time, John. Yep. Thank you for, um, I guess, putting putting the the big one for me was putting the the wet jacket and the moose adventures into descriptive for me because it's always, you know, like from an outsider, you have your views whether for or against, yeah, and you basically hear or have read Ken Tustin's version, but I didn't yeah. know anybody. First hand that had actually been there and, and felt one way or the other. So, yeah, um, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, well, I hope it, it'll be nice for it to work out a wee bit. I think that some of the things between the Tustin thing, who's studied the hell out of it, and Bamford, he's bloody t- as tenacious as, as they come. And some of the, I think that really what ticked it off for me was that bloody Swedish thing because I could see it. You validated I, what you've. I've, I've got photos of Velma hanging on to nipped off pine trees. You I mean, I'm not trying to tell you anything that you don't know, but they 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 live on the deciduous during the summer and on pine trees in the winter. And the pine trees, I got Velma hanging on to this freaking pine tree. Well. Apart from the fact that the species is different, 
It could be in Fiordland. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Same mm-hmm. Bra- same browse. Yeah, same, same pattern. Same browse pattern. Yeah. S- sitting there looking at you. So that's that's the convincing thing to me. Plus the hairs. Plus the hairs, and I know that's only that didn't come along that often, but it did come along there. Yeah, it did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right, very good. Right, appreciate you. Right, finish the beers. Good. G'day. Thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Curran Island, at the Educated Hunter. And the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.